0: Really well, the people there are really really re- receptive to what the lord has, has given me to say and uh and so it's always uh, great to get out there, but it just the trip is just so so long and all but Pat did all the driving I did a lot of sleeping in the car, so that that made it a, a lot more bearable and stuff and I had to check up on kathy a few times a day, make sure she was doing okay and so uh but thank you so much for your prayers now where we're at. In our preaching through the Bible, uh, we left off at First Thessalonians, so we'll be starting First Thessalonians, but we're going to take a few weeks break, and we're going to talk about. We're just going to get back to basics, and uh, I really recommend you grab the the five page handouts that are that are back there because I'm not going to be able to cover all the passages that um, that are listed here. So this is something you can do for homework. And we're going, to, we're going to spend a few weeks on basic Christian beliefs. We do this about every five to ten years. Basic Christian beliefs. Then we're going to get beyond this and go to, you know, so this is what we believe. And then we're going to get into how we should act, what Christians should do daily, how we should live our lives. And then eventually we're going to try to have a, a few weeks of just... Um, some uh scriptural and practical instruction on sharing your faith with others and um uh you know it's the job of the elders here to equip the saints for service and uh but in you know in the near future we could reach a day i mean if the government thinks it's got the power to shut down the churches um then uh we could reach a day where the churches are going to have to go underground like they are in China and Iran and in northern Africa. And, um, and so uh, it's our job to equip you not just to be good Christian laypeople but to be able to disciple others, and God may be calling some of you to open your homes in the future um, to conduct church in there. So, uh, so basic Christian beliefs, basic Christian behavior and then how to share your faith with others. And keep in mind, too, the goal is not to lead people to Christ. That's one of the earlier goals. The ultimate goal is to disciple them. God wants us to make disciples, not brand-new baby Christians and then just leave them alone. And that's why God instituted the church. So we want to we get to know people, and we've been so dehumanized. We want to lead people to Christ, but we don't want to just let them go. We want to disciple them either either here or through yourself or find another Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. But we've got to remember this is a war. It's a spiritual war uh, for the souls of, of human beings, and, um, and we should not take that lightly. So we'll be talking about basic Christian beliefs. Let's, uh, you could open up to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter four and um, and let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer Father in Jesus precious name, I pray Lord that as we uh go over these the teachings for the next few weeks on basic Christian beliefs these these define who we are and then uh, and then we need to live consistently with those beliefs and we need to share our faith with others and we need to disciple others to to make them followers of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and to, to teach them to grow in Christ. And so I thank you, Lord, for the, this church. I thank you for the, the ladies' study throughout the week, the men's study and the, all the other uh, studies that we have, the studies that people have in their homes because it's impossible to equip the saints for service in just a couple hours on Sunday morning. And so I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you empower us to be all that you called us to be. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would anoint me to proclaim your truth. The people that are here today are not here to uh, hear the faulty wisdom of man. They're here to hear your truth. And so I pray that you would anoint me with your spirit and empower me to proclaim your truth, that you'd cancel the fallible man and allow your infallible truth to be proclaimed so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray, Lord, that you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, empower us to apply these truths to our lives, to be obedient to you from the heart, through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so basic... Christian beliefs you know we believe as Christians, we believe in the triune creator God, the one true God who created the universe, who is three persons um, we trust the Bible as god's perfect word. we hear so much from the world that contradicts the Word of God, and people make fun of us I, I we actually have some leading Christian apologists today, leading Christian defenders of the faith who make fun of Christians who still take Genesis 1 literally and believe God created the universe in six literal days. So, I mean, hey, we can disagree on that as brothers, but, but it's, it's kind of weird when we're not just getting made fun of by the world. Now we got brothers in the Lord and sisters in the Lord. Making fun of us, but don't never apologize for trusting the Bible as God's perfect word. Okay, um, I mean the alternative is getting kind of crazy right now. But uh, uh, but there's there's people who put put their trust in the World Economic Forum before they'll put their trust in, in Jesus and the Bible. We believe salvation is by grace. Okay, it cannot be earned. We don't deserve heaven. We're sinners, we can't save ourselves. We're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Carl and I before the service were talking about the, the five solas of the Protestant Reformation and um, uh, sola Christi, that Christ uh, alone saves. Salvation is only in him. Sola gratia, solely by grace. Sola fides, solely through faith. And we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Sola Gloria, God gets all the glory, okay? And, um, and then Sola Scriptura, the scriptures alone are our final authority for faith and practice. And so we believe in salvation by grace, and we believe in Jesus. And there's a lot of people who say, hey, you know, uh, Fernandez, I believe in Jesus. Well, tell me a little bit about your Jesus, because there's a whole lot of people out there making a whole lot of money Preaching uh, false Jesus, okay? The Jesus of Mormonism is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the is- Islamic Quran is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the New Age Movement is not the Jesus of the Bible. And so we got to get into who is Jesus. You say you trusted him for salvation. Is he the true Jesus um, of the Bible? And then we'll talk about some other things like... Um, the church, okay, the called out assembly. We know we have family, okay. I left, you know, God just by me fighting my bride out here and finding Jesus out here in Washington State. I realized I couldn't go back to Jersey. I could go back for visits, and I lost big families, both the Italians and the Portuguese. You know, you're talking hundreds of people, and that hurt me. And to this day, it still hurts a little. And, um, uh, but God gave me a bigger family here. Our church here and our our school that I teach at, Christian school. And, um, but we're family. And uh, we need to appreciate the time we have together. The day may come in this country where we can't just gather together, we're going to have to do it in secret. So appreciate one another, encourage one another. Okay? And, And, yeah, I know, you know, it's, there's some people in this church, like all churches, they're kind of hard to get along with. Sometimes, sometimes I'm hard to get along with. Well, you know what? Get over it. Get over it. If Jesus could get along with you and could get along with me, we should we should be patient enough to get along with each other. All right. So, uh, so we know we have a family, the church, and we know who the enemy is. There's angels and fallen angels and demons and they're headed by Satan. We. We know what the true battle is, and I could list, you know, probably a hundred anti-Christian, powerful leaders. That, you know, I mean, I mean, there's billionaires right now that are upset that Phil Fernandez eats meat and drives his own car. Yeah. Why would they even care? Okay, but that's just that's the world we live in. But they're not the real enemies. The real enemies are the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places that are working through them. So we know who the enemy is, and, uh, and then we know where we are going. If you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, heaven is a free gift. If, um, if you're not trusting in Jesus for salvation, uh, you're on your own, and that's, that's the eternal lake of fire and um and and believe me it's it's amazing how many Christians are now starting to water down those doctrines and trying to become more like the world. And so we're going to look at these basic Christian beliefs and so the first two deal with the fact that we believe in the triune creator God. And so first off is the doctrine of the Trinity now now you know Ephesians let me just read this first Ephesians 4 4 to 6. Paul's going to talk about the different spiritual gifts that we have, but first he wants to remind us of what unites us, okay? What unites us. Now, we can have, we can have debates about when, when is the rapture going to occur. Is it before the tribulation or after the tribulation? Uh, we can have debates about, it, about whether you fully dunk people in baptism or you sprinkle them. Do you baptize kids or do you only baptize people old enough to confess faith in Christ? We can debate issues like that. What exactly does the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate today, what exactly does that mean? Those are intramural debates among Christians on non-essential, very important, but non-essential issues. But what I'm going to talk about, to be a true believer and to to have a healthy, solid, to be a biblically-based Christian and to live a biblically-based Christian life, these are the doctrines that we need to hold to. But Paul says this, he talks about the unity we have. There is one body, one body of believers, okay? Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, okay? Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. We have one hope. His name is Jesus, okay? You're hoping in anything else. I mean, you try hard, you think smart, you work hard, you work smart, you try to take care of your family, but it could all go up in smoke, okay? So the one, if you're a believer, your one hope is the Lord Jesus. One Lord, that's Jesus. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So as he mentions this, this unity that we have, he actually mentions the three persons of the Trinity, one spirit, one Lord, one God and father of all, okay? Uh, but there he says one faith. What is that faith that unites us? Jude 3, Jude tells us we're supposed to contend earnestly for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. How many of us even know what the, the one, you know, the one faith delivered, the faith delivered once for all to the saints, and so hopefully you'll take these handouts, because we're going to just be skimming through them, take them home, uh, read over them the next few weeks, so that you get grounded in it and basic Christian beliefs. And then if God puts it on your heart, maybe you can disciple new believers and teach them, and take your time, go through it slow. We're going to have to you know, we're going to have to rush through it because I' preach through the whole council of God. When I I stand before the Lord and on a judgment day, I don't want to have to explain why I didn't preach on certain books. And so we'll pick up at 1 Thessalonians after a few weeks of what we believe and then some practical advice on on living the Christian life and sharing our faith. And uh, so we want to contend earnestly for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. As believers, we have one faith. And so we're going to talk about some of those basic Christian beliefs Look at Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 10. Isaiah 43 and verse 10. Now, the Bible teaches us, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Trinity, doctrine of the Trinity. The Bible teaches us that there is only one God, okay? And whenever I witness to Mormons, they say, I say, see, the Bible here says there's only one God. I am God, and there is no other. And they say, well, one God of this planet. And I'm like, no, no, it just says one God. It doesn't say one God of this planet. And they just keep dancing around because they believe that there's a, an innumerable number of gods. Each are gods, they used to be men on planets. They progressed to godhood, and now they're gods of their own planets. That's not biblical. It sounds like a good sci-fi story, but it's not biblical. And... uh but the passage that they can't get around is Isaiah 43 and verse 10. Isaiah 43 and verse 10. Yahweh says this, the God of Israel, you are my witnesses, says the Lord. See, whenever you see Lord with all capital letters in the Old Testament, that means Yahweh. The I am who I am who spoke to Moses from the burning bush and speaking. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me, there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. See, if you if you weren't God from all eternity, you're never going to become Him. Okay, there's, all, there's room for only one God too. And don't don't think too is well. What if God is the God of this universe? You know, I know He's not just the God of Israel. I know He's not just the God of planet Earth. I know he's not just the God of our solar system. I know he's the God of the whole universe. I got that down right. So I'm not going to fall for this space brother stuff. But, but what if he's the God of this universe and somewhere else there's some infinite God that exists? And what if he does battle someday with our God? And who knows? He might, he might lose. No, you got, you got to understand what the Bible says about God. God is the I am who I am. Okay, I could say, I am because. You can say, I am because. See, I am because Joe Fernandez, the son of Portuguese immigrants, met a lady named Angelina Minichino, the son of Italian immigrants, and they got married, and they had a baby boy, and they named him Phil, and there's enough water for me to drink and food for me to eat, And there's enough shelter for me to survive. I mean, there's lots of reasons why I am. Now, Moses asks God who's speaking to him from the burning bush, what is your name? He says, I am who I am. Okay? I am because I am pure, infinite existence. Okay? And so basically... I am a being that exists. I am a um, uh, an essence that actually has existence. We can come up with an idea of my identical twin brother and say, "Okay, there. He's got his essence, but he doesn't exist. He doesn't have existence." God is a being who the essence is what you are, existence is that you are. God's what he is equals that he is. God, we have existence because God gave it to us. God is pure, infinite existence, okay? And when you understand that, he is pure, infinite existence, there cannot be two gods, okay, and we, we don't have time to break it down. If you want to talk to me after service, I can explain why there can only be one infinite being. Okay? But basically, that leaves in all of existence, there is only one infinite existent being. And that is the triune God. And everything else that came into existence came into existence through him. There's no room anywhere for any other God. But the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Peter, Paul, and John, the God of you and the God of me. Um, there is no other room for any other God. So there's only one God. That's why 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul says, For there is only one God and one mediator, one go-between, between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, because Jesus is fully God. He is our the mediator, okay? But the Bible is clear. I give you some other verses uh, that the Bible is clear that there is only one God. Now, before we move on to the persons of the Trinity, turn to the last page in the notes, because I want to just point out that I don't, I don't want to just say there is only one God and then just leave you hanging on that because there are false concepts of God. There are false gods, uh, people who come up with ideas about God that are not consistent with what the Bible teaches and really are not consistent with pure, infinite existence, pure, infinite, unlimited being. There are people like New Agers and Hindus who are pantheists, from the Greek word pan for everything and theos for God. So they believe everything is God. So God is the universe. God is a non-personal force, okay? Because man's part of the universe, man is God, okay? This is, this is the view of God that's actually taught in the Star Wars movies. The best way to educate people is to entertain them because then they drop their guard and they don't think they're being educated. They just passively sit back and take in. But with Star Wars, it's the force be with you. It's not the Lord be with you. In Star Wars, there's not even supposed to be right and wrong. Okay? There's just supposed to be the dark side of the force and the light side of the force. But I, I think what made the Star Wars movie so epic was they had to borrow capital from the Christian worldview. You really felt like Luke Skywalker was a good guy and Darth Vader was a bad guy, and you rooted for the good, but in reality, just different sides of the same force. Okay, Uh, Lucas, by the way, you might be saying, oh, you're reading too much into that. You've been studying too much philosophy. You're reading too much into that. No, George Lucas explained it, that the Star Wars movies uh, were his attempt to train... Western, quote-unquote, Christian people uh, in Eastern religious thought, which is pantheistic, okay? So this idea that God is a non-personal force, let me tell you, uh, electricity is a non-personal force. You can't have a, a personal love relationship with electricity, okay? You can have a personal love relationship with the God of the Bible. When I pick up the Bible, it says, for God so loved the world. That's a personal god. Now we often think it. Per- you'd be a person. You got to have a, a body. That's because human persons have bodies. Angelic persons don't have bodies, and divine persons don't have bodies, except for the fact that God the Son became a man, and when He became a man, that included a human body. And uh, so, pantheism is a false view. Polytheism, the the false view that there are many gods. Okay. Um, I'm telling you, the many gods, you can't... There can only be one infinite being. So when you got many gods, they're, they're fighting each other, they're, they're dysfunctional, and, um, and they limit each other. So the only way to explain the existence of many gods, many finite gods, is by positing the existence of an infinite god. But then the infinite god would be God... And the finite gods, whatever they are, they wouldn't be gods. Maybe they're fallen angels trying to deceive mankind, but they wouldn't be gods. But that's polytheism. Mormonism is they deny it, but they're polytheists. They, they just, just read Mormon doctrine by Bruce McConkie, a high-ranking Mormon, and um, uh, just read the section on the plurality of gods. They consider the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit three separate gods, and then men on planets can progress to godhood and then become a god of their own planet. Uh, That's polytheism. Um, Scientologists believe in many gods, thetans from other planets. And um, dualism, you got two competing gods Uh, a good God and an evil God. No, there's only one God. Satan is not, he can metaphorically, he can symbolically be called God, okay, Uh, like the God of this age, Um, but that's just because he wants to be worshipped. Satan is not all-powerful. Satan is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at the same time. Seems like he is because he's got his demons dispatched everywhere. And he's really good at delegating uh, his authority. Uh, but, but he's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's not everywhere present. And, um, um, and so whatever the case, Satan is not a god. There is only one true god, and it's the infinite, unlimited, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere-present god Of the scriptures. Now, panentheism, another false view, it teaches everything in God. So it teaches that the universe is God's body. Okay? The universe is God's body. And God and the universe are interdependent on each other. Okay? And they say God is both finite and infinite. You can't be both finite and infinite in your basic nature. Okay? In your basic nature, it either has limitations and you're finite or it's unlimited and you're infinite. You can't be both, okay? And so pan- panentheism fails, okay? Now, people might say, well, what about Jesus? Jesus is both infinite and finite. Well, the law of non-contradiction, the law of logic, the law of non-contradiction says that A cannot equal non-A at the same time in the same way, okay, okay? Jesus, because he added a human nature without subtracting from his divine nature, he is infinite and finite at the same time, but in a different way. He is infinite in his divine nature, okay? But in his human nature, he has limitations. Right now, in Jesus' human nature, he's only at the Father's right hand. He's not physically here right now. But in his divine nature, he's omnipresent. He's here. So that's one person with two distinct natures. It's called a hypostatic union. Theologians figured that out from studying the scriptures. and We'll talk about that later on. But to say, like the panentheist, that God is both infinite and finite at the same time in the same way uh, is a contradiction. You can't have it both ways. And so what it would be is if, if you think your God is infinite and finite, He's really finite, and all finite existence needs an infinite cause, okay? See, people act like we, we Christians, we just, oh, we just believe in God because we want to. No, there really is no other explanation. If you want an explanation of how we got here and where we're going, just start reading the Bible. You get the answer right there in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Okay? Now, you, people say, well, I, I think Mormonism got the answer. Really? In the beginning, you've got to have a man on a planet with no explanation now as how he got there, how the planet got there, and he's got to progress the godhood to become the first god? That doesn't make any sense at all. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's not only the ultimate explanation, but it's the only explanation that makes sense. You've got to have infinite unlimited eternal existence to ground the existence of all finite limited time bound existence okay so don't ever apologize for being a Christian Uh, you know you might be one of those Christians say well I just I don't know much I just study the Bible and I believe it fine but just just keep in mind the Bible was written by very wise people but it was actually God who was giving them the words to write? It was actually God who was guiding them, using their own vocabulary and their own personalities, it, God guided them to record His word without error. And so what you get in the Bible, you might say, "Well, I just, I just read the Bible and I just accept it. I really believe it's God's word. Fine, but don't apologize to anybody, because what you do what you're saying is, I have based and built my life on the infinite wisdom. Of the God of Scripture, and um, you got people thinking, uh, you know, Phil Franz is an idiot. <laughs> is an idiot? He still believes that outdated book. Well, the Bible is actually sixty-six books, written over a period of about two thousand years by probably about forty different authors, but um, but the divine author Amen. superintended the whole process. Will act like I'm an idiot because I'm not on board with Bill Gates. Okay, Bill Gates, really? I mean, the guy knows how to make money, but you can't take that with you. Jesus said, "For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul?" You want to you want to put all your eggs in the Bill Gates basket? Go ahead. I'm going to put all my eggs in the King Jesus basket. He is good, but he is also God. And um, so, uh, uh, but finite theism, a God who is limited in power, a finite, limited God, no, that God would need an infinite God to ground his existence, so the finite God wouldn't really be God at all. Then there's atheism, the view that there is no God, okay? You know what, to really disprove God's existence, um, you'd actually have to have the attributes of God. You'd actually have to be God to disprove God. Because, you know, if you're looking in one part of the universe, maybe God's hiding in another part of the universe. So you'd have to be able to see the entire physical universe at one glance, and then you'd have to acknowledge, well, maybe there's a spiritual realm, like the Bible says, so you've got you to be all-knowing and all-seeing on the physical, the spiritual realm, all simultaneously. You've got you've to be omnipresent. You'd have to be God to disprove God. And uh, and atheists have have really, the the thinking, world's leading thinking atheists have acknowledged that. So they've kind of, they're really agnostics, that they think man cannot know if God exists. There's not enough evidence for God's existence. They don't want to admit that atheism is dead. So they just, in the 1990s, uh, uh, Professor Michael Martin of uh, Boston University um, redefined uh, atheism as the lack of belief in God. Um, rather than believing there is no God. So it's just kind of the, the lack of belief. And um, um, no, atheism means no God in the Greek, atheos. And, uh, but agnosticism, man cannot know God. Now, there's different kinds of agnostics. Um, I remember when I debated Eddie Tabosh De at uh, Washington State University, the moderator for the debate was one of their philosophy professors, real nice gentleman And at the end of the debate, he told me, he said, wow, you did really good. And I said, yeah, so did Eddie. Eddie. Eddie was like a Beverly Hills lawyer who worked for the Clinton administration. He wasn't exactly, you know, philosophically brilliant in any way, shape, or form. And, um, but the guy said, you did really well. I said, yeah, so did Eddie. And he looked at me like this. He said, no, no, you did really well. So he was telling, the moderator was telling me after the debate, you won the debate. And, um, and I said, well, are you a Christian? And he said, no. And I said, what's your worldview?" And he said, well, I'm actually an agnostic. But my wife's Roman Catholic, and out of respect for her faith, I take her to Mass on Sundays, and he, and he, he looked at me, and he, he kind of made sure nobody was listening, and he said, and I'm, I'm starting to enjoy it. And um, so, so keep in mind, there's two kinds of agnostics. There's the hard agnostic. I've never seen enough evidence for, to believe God exists. Neither have you. And neither has anybody else in the world. So only stupid people believe in God. That's the hard agnostic. This guy was a soft agnostic. He was saying, I don't think I've seen enough evidence to believe that God exists, but my wife's really brilliant, and she's a Catholic, and she believes in God, and I'm not going to call her a fool, and don't tell anybody, but I'm starting to enjoy uh, the, 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 the Catholic uh, Mass or whatever, okay? So I've been praying for him for years. I don't, I don't even know how to get in touch with him and all, but someday I'd like to follow up and see where he's at. But if, if you've got a buddy who's a soft agnostic, they're open to talk. They say, well, I don't believe God exists. I haven't seen the evidence, but maybe you have. You know, you might be able to convince me someday. And, uh, uh, and then deism, that's the God, a God who created the world, but he doesn't perform miracles. Now, I don't think that would make much sense if you had a God who went through all the trouble, although it would be really no trouble for him, but to create the universe and create people he could communicate with and then not try to catch our attention by performing miracles. I think God would be, if God could create the entire universe ex nihilo out of nothing, then he can perform supernatural events anytime he feels like it. He is able to do it, and I would think he'd be willing to do it if he'd want to communicate with human beings. And that's exactly what the Bible says. You know, our two most famous uh, deists in American history were Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin. And um, now they were pro-Christian Deists, unlike the French Jacobin Deists, who were anti-Christian Deists and bulldozed the churches there when they would win the revolution and all. And um, Founding Fathers believe that Christianity is good for people; it keeps them in line. It it uh, creates freedom and prosperity. But we don't believe Jesus is God incarnate. We don't believe the Bible is God's word. Founding Fathers believe the Bible, at least Jefferson and um, Franklin, the Bible was the greatest collection of human wisdom when it came to uh, a philosophy of government and morality. So they respected the Bible, but they didn't believe it was God's word. Now they were mistaken. I hope they had deathbed con- conversions because I'd like to see them in heaven. But the idea that a God created the universe and he either cannot or does not perform miracles, no. If God, if there is a God, a personal God who created the universe, then miracles are possible. How do you determine whether miracles occurred? You have to test the miracle claims. And uh, I encourage you, uh, if you question miracles, test the miracle claim of Jesus' bodily resurrection. Christianity was built on the fact that that miracle claim was true, Okay. uh, But the true view is called theism. Theism. That's the belief that there's one personal God, okay? One personal God uh, who created the universe, yet is separate from the universe. God and the universe are not the same thing. He's separate from the universe, so he's transcendent. The the word is transcendent, okay? Um, But he's also involved with the universe and what that means he sustains us in existence and he has the power the ability uh, to perform miracles and to um, to intervene uh, in the affairs of man so so we are theists God can perform miracles he's distinct from the universe but involved with the universe but one personal God who created the universe Now, because we believe there's only one God, technically we're called monotheist. Okay, monotheist. And um, the three major world religions are monotheistic. That's Christianity, um, Islam, and Judaism. Okay, so you're talking about more than half the world's population are monotheist. And um, uh, now, where Christians differ from Judaism and Islam and our concept of God, our understanding of God, we believe this one monotheistic God is tripersonal, is three distinct persons. In Islam and in uh, Judaism... Um, they all believe that uh, God is just one person, okay? And so we need to look into this. If we're Christians, we believe God is three persons. Before we get there, I'm just going to run through a summary list of the attributes or characteristics of God, uh, what God is like. The Bible, you've got the verses listed there, the attributes or characteristics of God. God is good, Okay? As the source of all goodness, he is infinite goodness himself. God is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. In fact, he exists outside of time. He exists in the eternal now rather than in this time-bound world. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present at the same time. Okay? He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient, all-knowing. He's immutable. He never changes. He's sovereign. He's always in control. Okay? Uh, I believe we have genuine free will. Okay? Yet, um, God is still sovereign. It's like if we're... It's not like God moves us like pawns on a chessboard. Okay? We're not robots. God created us with a free will. But it's like we play chess with God and we freely choose uh, what moves to make, but God is always in control. He always gets us in checkmate, okay? And um, and so God is sovereign. He's always in control. He's holy. He's totally separate, totally separate from evil. He's absolutely pure. He's, he's righteous. His deeds are just. He's true. He cannot lie. He's faithful. He's absolutely loyal. He's merciful. He spares us the punishment we deserve. He's gracious. He gives us his unmerited favor, gives us the salvation we don't deserve, and then God is loving. You know, we don't even know what love means anymore in this culture. You can say, I love my car. I love my wife. I love my brother. I love football. I love cookies. Nobody knows what you mean anymore, okay? In the Greek, they had distinct words, separate words for love. And love, this type of love, agape, is the unconditional seeking the highest good for others. And that's that's the way God loves his creation. He unconditionally seeks the greatest good for us, but he's not going to force his will on us. So there's only one God. We talked a little bit about his attributes. We talked about the false view of gods. Well, the Bible tells us, we're not going to have time to turn there, but passages like Galatians 1, 1, 1, Peter Peter 1, 1 and 2, the Bible calls the Father God. Okay? But not only does the Bible call the Father God, the Bible also calls the Son God, the S-O-N God. Titus 2.13 Um uh, tells us that that we should eagerly await for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus is called God and Savior. In John one one, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then in verse fourteen, the Word became flesh. Okay. So, Jesus is called God time and time again. That's why you could say, I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was born, not I was, before Abraham was born, I am. The Jews understood what he was telling them. They kept picking up stones to stone him because they said, This guy is blaspheming. He's a man and he's making himself out to be God. And, um, So the Bible calls the Father God, the Son God. In Acts chapter 5, lying to the Holy Spirit equals lying to God. You didn't lie to man, you lied to God. The the Holy Spirit is, is treated as a person and is called the eternal spirit. And the only eternal persons are the three persons of the Godhead. And so the Holy Spirit is God. Now, a lot of people at that point could say, there used to be a church that met here. They used to say, yeah, well, the Father's, there's only one God. The Father's God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but they're all the same person. Just three different names for the same person. That's called the Sibelian heresy. Real early in the history of the church, that was refuted, okay? Um, The Bible teaches that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct persons. Just a couple other passages, then we'll receive the Lord's Supper. But Matthew chapter 3. Look at Matthew 3, and verses 16 and 17. So there's only one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Yet we're going to see now that there are three distinct persons. By the way, the early church fathers all taught this. They didn't come up the word Trinity, Trinitas, till about two twenty A.D. with Tertullian, but they all spoke about, hey, there's only one God, and they talk about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit being God, but they also talked about them as being distinct persons. They were just reluctant to pull it all together into one coherent doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity. And but Matthew three sixteen and seventeen. Uh, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. So Jesus comes out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now there's people, they're called modalists who try to say, God was the Father in the Old Testament, then in the Gospels, He's the son. He's called the son. And then he's called the Holy Spirit in Acts and beyond that. And uh, no, here you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit manifesting themselves at the same time. I mean, Jesus isn't a liar. Jesus, whenever they question, they said, you speak of yourself. Everything is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Well, Jesus said, not only do I testify to who I am, but I have another witness. And he talks about the Father. So Jesus is saying he's a distinct person. He prayed to the Father. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Look at what Jesus said on the night he was betrayed. Here when he gets baptized, Jesus comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit comes down on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So it makes sense that Jesus would command us to baptize Disciples, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then uh, uh, John chapter 14, the night he was betrayed, John 14 and verse 16, Jesus is trying to prepare the apostles for the fact that he's going to uh, die be buried, rise from the dead, appear and eventually ascend to heaven. So John chapter 14, verse 16, and I pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And then he calls him the spirit of truth. So just think about that. Jesus is talking and he says, I, that's one person mentioned. I'm going to pray to the father, second person mentioned, and he's going to give you another helper the word for another there in the Greek means another of the same type. He's going to give you another helper. That's the third person mentioned, the spirit of truth. That makes no sense if you try to turn the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all into the same person. There are three distinct persons. Now, keep in mind, a person is a distinct center of consciousness. There is a will and an intellect, okay? That's what makes a person a person, Okay? You don't have to have a body to be a person. And so throughout all eternity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit fellowshiped with each other and had a love relationship with each other. Okay? If God is a God of self-giving love, selfless love, then God would need to create us and angels to have a love relationship with. But then if God needs anything other than himself... He's not all-sufficient. But the God of the Bible is all-sufficient all and all-loving. How is that explained? That's explained. It's called the dilemma of the lonely God. If God is, is tripersonal, then throughout all eternity, the three persons of the Trinity had a personal love relationship with each other. So God didn't create us because he needed to. He created us because he wanted to. Okay? and um, And so... Um, uh, then look at verse 26 in John 14 but the helper says Jesus the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you again it makes no sense unless the Father Son and Holy Spirit are three distinct persons they are the one God but they're three distinct persons. Jesus says, but the helper the Holy Spirit, one person mentioned, whom the Father will send, second person mentioned, in my name, third person mentioned. Okay? And so the Bible is clear in its teachings that there is only one true God. But this God exists throughout all eternity as three equal persons. Now next week we'll look at the fact that this one true eternal God, this tripersonal God created everything else that exists ex nihilo out of nothing Okay, and we'll explain why evolution has its issues and why there's strong evidence for God's existence even outside of the Bible And, um, and that in the end evolution is just an unproven assumption and then we'll talk about the Bible being God's inerrant word Keep in mind what we said, and I'm going to close with this. What we said, whenever we preach on Paul's letters, we just got done with Colossians, Paul will always give you the first half of the book, sometimes even more than that, doctrines, what we believe, what we should believe, and then from there, he'll get to the practical aspect, how we should live. Never, never ever... Separate Christian behavior from Christian beliefs. When you do, you're less than a generation away from walking away from Christianity. This has happened time and time again where denominations, mainline denominations said, beliefs aren't important. All that's important is that you feed the hungry and care for others. Well, those are important things, but we do that because of what we believe. Right behavior has to be built on the foundation of true beliefs. And so we believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. We believe in God the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God who is three distinct persons. Now, does that go beyond human wisdom and understanding? You bet, but you would expect that from the all-wise infinitely wise God and so it's my prayer that each and every one of us here would worship the triune God no matter what mankind says no matter how we get treated that we would worship uh, the triune God until that day when he brings us home